Welcome to Visible Signs, Invisible Designs. Here we talk about communication design on a meta level. We talk about useful things that people make, but are so humble that they often go unnoticed. Are these designs? Absolutely. Design is more than what meets the eyes. Let's look at what lies beneath the surface. Hi everyone, welcome to Visible Signs, Invisible Designs. This is episode three and we have a great guest today from Vancouver. We have Thomas Gerard, uh, who's um, uh, who's been a UX designer, a graphic designer, a scholar, speaker, workshop facilitator, author, you name it, he's done it. <laughs> he's based out of Vancouver right now, but he's had... Um, brief uh, stints in India uh, at the Pearl Academy as an assistant professor. Uh, he, he's he got, I think, three books, Thomas, right? Three books out. Is that right? More now. Yeah, more, more now. now. Yeah. Well, more about that later. And um, uh, what else? Uh, he's recently started um, a podcast called Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard. Uh, he he gives a workshop with the same name, I guess. Unique ways of prototyping, should I say? And uh, when did you start your podcast? Just um, less than a year ago. Less than a year ago, and you have almost one hundred episodes. Eighty-four. Right? Eighty-four episodes. Eighty-four. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that that persistence is re- is really impressive, and uh, and he's got. You know, um, John Maeda, Busy Williams, and Debbie Millman, and Eric Speakerman. You know, he's he's got them on the show, and I was fortunate enough to 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 have been a guest um, on on Thomas's show. I think it was uh, episode seven, wasn't it? Wow, it was that early... was already. Yeah. yeah. It was an early yeah, episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you know I'm gonna. Uh, we, we're going to talk about uh, something specific today. Uh, he asked me 20 questions on his show. We're going to do that uh, maybe at a later episode. Um, but we're going to talk type today. We're going to talk about typography. And and uh, the topic that we have today is can typography saves, uh, save lives, which was prompted by uh, something that Thomas wrote that I thought would be interesting to explore. Um, so maybe we'll start with a few questions, uh, for Thomas first to get, to get it started. Yeah. Thomas. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start with, uh, three questions that you asked me last time. Uh, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? Well, first off, you know, thanks so much for, for having me on the show, Keith. This is a, this is a super, um, uh, pleasurable thing for me. It's a big, big honor to be here with you. Um, so, you know, these days I introduce myself as a Canadian scholar, um, this year, you know, my activities are primarily revolving around being on the international conference circuit. So I'm invited to speak in Paris at the Sorbonne in June about typography. Um, I'm invited to speak in, uh, Lisbon in March and, um, and Krakow, Poland as well. So, um, those are kind of the key speaking engagements that are coming up. Um, I'm a self-published book author, like you said earlier. So, um, so two new books came out for, for 2023 for this year. Um, and one of them, Emerging Scholar in the Oxford Center, has been, uh, has been really doing really well in the typography category. Um, it was a bestseller on Amazon so far in the typography category. Um, but I, I will oh, plug right. if you're, um, yeah. But if you want to uh, grab it, uh, I'll plug Barnes & Noble. They have a slightly nicer copy. Um, so that, that would be the place to get it. Um, but those are the key bits. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, and the second one would be what is the key, a key piece of information, a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? I yeah, found that hard to uh, answer when you asked me that. <laughs> I've just got a short answer. I just say that I was born in okay. Canada and I'm, I'm still in Vancouver. Mm. I'm still in Canada. Most people who I meet um, these days in Vancouver are from somewhere else. So I think it makes me unique. Yeah, right. Well, you, you lived briefly in Hong Kong as well when you were younger. Yeah, I spent time in Asia. I spent time in, um, in, in, in China and India and, uh, and Hong Kong as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Thomas and I met in Vancouver um, 
uh, at the Emily Carr, well, now University of Art and Design, many, That's many right. years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then the third question is, uh, why this, of all things, why do you do what you do? Yeah, so after I gave my TEDx talk, um, the International Conference Circuit started up and I ended up going to Barcelona to, to receive an award there um, as an early uh, early scholar. Um, and then pandemic hit. You're you three-time yeah. recipient of the um, emerging, I forgot to say that, you're three-time It's something like three six. times recipient of it's something the uh, emerging like six. scholar. It, yeah, six. I think it's six. I, I can't oh, right. keep track. Yeah. I stopped keeping track. Um yeah, but um, well, it's good that you know you, you got those awards. Yeah, it's it's really great, um, and so that allowed me to kind of during pandemic to continue to um, attend the conferences in the blended format as a presenting delegate, um, and now coming out of pandemic, um, being at the in person events again. Um, so that's a real um, important part of my academic journey, I guess. Um, you know, releasing this new book, The Emerging Scholar and the Oxford Center, has been has been really key. It was really kind of attached to my master's studies, and my master's studies were connected to Oxford. So Oxford Center of Life Writing, Wolfson College, which is a graduate school at Oxford as well. Um, those are kind of the Oxford pieces for that. Mm, great. Right. So let's start with um, a passage that you wrote. Um, I, I think uh, it's published... Uh, in the British Columbia Review. Um, I think it was also in uh, your first book as well, I remember. That's right. Uh, a passage that Thomas wrote uh, called Saving Lives. So that passage prompted today's uh, podcast, I guess. So I'm going to read that out. Or, or do you want to read that out, actually? I'll let you read it out. I'm curious. I'll read it out. Okay, sure. Saving Lives. The argument is always that design isn't about saving lives. Some people argue for its importance, for example, with the historical example of poorly designed election ballots causing American voters to be confused enough to vote for the wrong party or candidate. Teaching typography during the pandemic puts an interesting lens on it. If one, in one sense, it is at least it is the least of our worries, but historically, as it has been so important that it must not be allowed to gather dust. I teach a class called Advanced Typography at a small private design school in Vancouver and often reflect on how throughout history, typography has been carefully documented and considered in practical ways in its relationship with current technologies, in the impact it has on people emotionally, and most importantly, in the way we read. Letters are meant to be read, and through the careful study of topics like typographic readability and legibility, we can assess its continuing importance. Some say we can never see history while it's unfolding, but I simply offer this praise of typographic studies so that perhaps we can reflect, wait a minute, writing actually says a lot. What prompted you to write that passage? Um, you know, during my master's, there, there was, of course, a writing component, and um, I never knew what to write. I never kind of was good at making a list of things and choosing and kind of strategically writing in that way. I just kind of started writing. Um, I've, I've talked about it on another podcast where I say that, you know, I pull out my iPhone at the coffee shop and just start plugging content into the notes app and start writing. And for me, mm -hmm. that writing ended up being about typography. Um, the, mm -hmm. the, um, so the, quite spontaneous. Spontaneous. It's not entirely that simple. I had written a, a long piece um, um, and submitted it for my master's um, coursework, and uh, it got it got kind of rejected. And people were like, "You should write about something else." And then I wrote this typography piece, which really was kind of a natural kind of thing for me. Mm. So there, there's something going on between writing and typography that you have. Uh, you know, written here in, in the passage. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about writing and typography, I guess, uh, uh, when we get into the topic. But I think maybe uh, the first thing we need to do, as with any kind of uh, 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 conversation or, 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 or um, discussions, we need to define what we're trying to say first, right? I think. 
So what are we really talking about when we talk about typography? Uh, let's get some definitions going. Shall we? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the bullet point that I always kind of start off with or end up at is that typography is, uh, is not a choice of a font, but it's uh, the usage. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. that's... I, I think, often, yeah. I think people don't know that. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I think when when we mention the word typography, people immediately think about designing typefaces or fonts, uh, the style of the the letters. But yeah, I agree. That's not always the most important thing. Maybe that's even, you know, kind of like um, in the backseat these days, I think, in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what is, what, how do you define it? I mean, the, the, I mean, in in a few words, how how would you describe what typography is or what you do as a typographer? Well, you know, I mean, that conversation can go with um, what you do. I'm a designer or what you design. Oh, well, I work with fonts. And immediately I think the visual is, oh, Microsoft Word, you hit that menu. There are a bunch of choices of fonts and you pick one. Um, but in yeah. fact, you and I just clarified that that's not 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 the case in in in, in a big way, I guess. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'll say I'll, I'll use the word fonts because it's relatable. But you know, if they if someone knows has enough depth to know the word typography to know a bit about it, um, then you know the the other kind of key thing that I, I like to mention is that some people spend their whole lives designing typefaces or, or invested in typography. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that. They think it's yeah. uh, not that big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with, with all of that. I mean, it, to put it simply, I would say, you know, typography is language made visible. Whenever we use, um, that's the broad definition, I guess. I mean, whenever we use language to express ourselves, to communicate, we are tapping into the resources that are available with our typographic palettes, right? Um, it used to be less accessible to people because it was specialized knowledge and needed specialized equipment. But these days, everybody uses typography. Even if, if you, even when you fire up the Notes app, there are, you know, I call them resources available for you to articulate what you are trying to say or your thoughts uh so looking at the notes that that you know we put together for the show you know uh the fact that i we had you know numbered lists going on we had bullets going on paragraphs uh you know bowls uh, uh, uh we mark something as a quote you know these things kind of our resources that people can use to to articulate their thoughts that's that's the broad definition but yeah i guess you know there are also more, more narrow definitions the more kind of a professional uh professionally specific uh terminology that we use i guess i mean what how, has, how do you think that has changed you know the, between the what the amateurs i mean i put that in quotes because everybody kind of does typography in a way uh and the professional typographer has the na- has the gap kind of narrowed you think thomas well to expand on what i said earlier about how people spend their entire yeah. lives on typography or typeface design um something that i share with um my students is that you know the the type that that they get to choose from and they get to use is designed by very capable designers for the most part. I mean, if, if you're in that kind of short list of, of choosing, choosing from those, those fonts, um, they're so well-designed, they're so manicured, they're so kind of perfect, and we can just use them. You know, that's, it's totally yeah. bizarre that something so carefully designed and well-designed can, can be used by us and accessed by us. I think, I think that's magical. And, you know, I try to communicate that it to my is, students. It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I remember the lecture set sheets that my dad had or what, you know, I used when I was little. So expensive to buy, right? And they run out. <laughs> now they don't run out. And so, and a lot of them are free and very high quality even when they're free. So it's it's a completely different world now. 
I mean, everybody needs to use language. That's what I think. You know, I, I mean, uh, it 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 can be a very esoteric thing, but the gap has narrowed really with the tools that are available to us and the high quality fonts that are available to us. I agree. I've I've got a bullet point that, that I'll share, which is um, not not to downplay what you're saying, but I think that typography is, is so rich and so full um, that you can you can claim pretty much anything about typography and, and back it up with precedent and pretty much be correct in a way. There's enough to make an argument for, for really a lot of different things in typography. And that's another kind of richness of it that I think um, doesn't doesn't always get talked about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So I think that's, that's the kind of definition out of the way have, have we gotten the definition out of the way actually <laughs> um, yeah there's so you know it's it's such a loaded question yeah I, I think so I think so okay well well I guess I mean typography kind of was associated with letterpress printing at first but I mean we can we can all agree that you know that's the tools has changed you know we're, we've expanded the definition a lot more now I, mean, I think that historical lenses. Yeah, I think that historical lens is extremely important. I would never kind of teach a type class without sharing those kinds of details. Sure, um, it's absolutely required for the definition. But yeah, we can we can move on from that. Yeah, because we can we can drill into that so much. But I think the second part to our topic today is saving lives. Right, saving lives. What did you mean when you when you wrote? those two words saving lives and why would you and, and why would you equate typography with saving lives why, why would you put those two things in a, in the same sentence why, yeah. why why what were you thinking when you wrote that yeah i think you know i think i, I wrote it because i believe it like typography can save lives but the, of mm -hmm. course the the explanation for it is quite a, a long kind of stretch um you know mm -hmm. you, you 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 as you read that passage um you know, you read that that the poorly designed election ballot or the typographic design of a poorly designed election ballot can influence how somebody chooses on that election ballot. And if the wrong person mm -hmm. is chosen by mistake and the wrong person is elected, yeah. well, if a wrong person is elected, yeah. surely that can mean the lives and deaths of, of some people. Um, you know, it's of course, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's really pushing it. Um, but a lot of typography has enough depth that you can say that. So, you know, if if typography caused someone to the wrong person to get elected by mistake, that's 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 significant, right? Yeah. Well, we're not by by saving lives. You don't mean you know uh, you're in an, in an, in a medical emergency or in an accident. I mean, it could happen in those situations yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but. Would it be the cause of typography? Yeah. Or are I there mean, other causes as well? Uh, or, or can you use it kind of uh, uh, in an evil way, right? Like, yeah. uh, is it possible to, to use it intentionally in a, you know, in a not so good kind of, uh, with not, not with, with a bad intentions? Well, you can you can argue for or against this, but um, you know, here in Vancouver, recently, many of the um, the emergency departments in the hospitals have stopped using red for their signs, and they're using green instead. Oh. Of course, you can. Oh, is that right? You can you can say color is not typography, or you can perhaps argue that color is typography, a part of it compositionally, or something like that. But um, mm. yeah, I, I feel oh, like that's a very deep question. <laughs> Is yeah. color typography? Yeah. Uh -huh. But I feel like that switch from red to green surely impacts how some people are interpreting those emergency departments and maybe how they're wayfinding towards those. And, um, and of course, that moves into the typographic space as well. Yeah, well, I guess that's really changing the the commonly accepted conventions that people have understood for years yeah. so so are people ready to to accept that and to be able to intuitively perceive yeah you know that in that new information as something else you know that that that's that's critical that's yeah. critical yeah yeah i mean color i guess is i mean 
is part of the consideration when we design with type, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to put it in another way where typography is a part of life, right? Uh, rather than, you know, saving lives in a particular way, it is part of our everyday life. Uh, whether we, 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 we know it or not, it affects how we behave. It affects the way we get things done or the way we learn. You know, that's definitely how I see, you know, typography affects us in a broad way, I guess, in a broad way. On, on my podcast, I had a, a great type guy on named Alex Trichut, and um, mm. he um, he's the uh, the son of a famous type guy from a long time ago, and he believes that through genetics, through DNA, he's mm. gotten the type bug in a way, and he believes that it will be passed on to the next generation in that way as well. Um, I'm not sure if that mm. relates to what you're saying. It does relate. It does relate, but. I, I think you know I've I I've got I've got that type bug as well and so do you probably but that that's kind of like a very um personal thing that you know I I don't know why I'm attracted to to that or to written language in general I think it it's it's a lot deeper than the shape of the letter forms although you know i i am also very interested in that but but the fact that it's a means of communication is that goes back to the root of what typography is 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 language mm-hmm. it's the visual form of language and and it goes you know it it relates to what you wrote about writing you know writing actually sets a lot right that's your your last sentence i mean yeah uh, in a way Im- could... immediately we make use of these things when we write yeah, absolutely and inevitably a lot of people read without being without the 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 attention to the fact that there's type involved in that right yeah and yeah, so exactly. if you're, you know, if you're, if you're blind, to, if you're, if you're reading or writing and you're blind to the typography, you're missing a key piece. And, and that piece is, is actually evocative of, of that writing as well. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. So they go hand in hand, but a lot of the, uh, do you think writers necessarily kind of um, uh, think about these things when they write these days with all the tools that are available? There are a lot of ways to answer that. Um, you know, there are of course conventions within um, the the form of writing um, that people use that, you know, you're used to 12, 12 point times New Roman double spaced or whatever for an academic, you know, um, paper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are established kind of conventions that we use in some of the, some some document genres. You know, business card, what six and a half, seven, seven and a half point type in whatever typeface you choose. So, you know, we're, we're used to these kinds of um, norms, I think, and and mm-hmm. that can, in a way, discount the the amount of thought that goes into the typography. I think, like anything, right? Anything has conventions. If you follow the conventions, you don't have to think that much. They're kind of set for you. It's when you start to experiment and move in a different direction that you realize that there's a lot there. It's just where, um, we're, uh, especially now, we're in a time when so much stuff is so well designed for us. And sometimes being a designer is simply saying, I'll take this good thing and this good thing, this good thing, mash them together, and now I got my own good thing. But it's really, of course, there's so many decisions involved in making that happen. So, I'm glad you brought up conventions. Uh, I, I think maybe sometimes as designers, are we really aware of these conventions? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Because part of what designers do, um, well, so for some designers, they want to push the envelope. They mm-hmm. They want to kind of defy these conventions to create something new but it depends on your priorities right if you if your priority is to um is to uh get people to 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 read better to understand better uh 
to use your piece of design to get, you know, what they want done. Uh, you know, that's that's a different kind of priority. And I think the 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 tension between conventions and defying conventions is is always there for a lot of designers. Yeah, they don't want to do what everybody else is doing. So I don't want my essay to be twelve point times New Roman double space, right? Uh, I I want to do something different. But the thing is, uh, when you're doing something different, you 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 risk losing audience or or not meeting the needs of of the users. Um, so that's always a tension. And and I think for the for the general public, uh, for the users of what we do uh, as typographic designers, they might not be aware of that, but they pick up those cues. Those flip, cues uh, become very useful for them. The flip side of that is context, right? It, there is always mm-hmm. a unique context, you know, based on time, yeah. place, these different factors, you're always dealing with something new in a way. It's never exactly the same as, as, a, as a simple formula can, can solve for. There's always some, some new element to it. So in a way... People are correct to experiment in a way they're not because things are, are, are pretty close anyways. But Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think, you know, we, we were talking about um, how the general users uses typography. Everybody uses it. Um, do you think, you know, we're, we as professional designers, communication designers have kind of lost that kind of uh, expertise or that authority that we once had about these things, how people communicate to the hands of the amateur, do you think there's a risk there or is there an opportunity there? Um, there's a great kind of uh, line in the Helvetica film, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> po- okay. pulling back a bit now, where um, okay. the, the guy says, you know, just use Helvetica bold in one size um, and it, it looks good, whatever you're doing. And I think oh, who the, was it? Who was it that said that? Uh, I don't. Remember I, I remember that line. Yeah, yeah actually, it was a great one. Um, <laughs> and I, I think these days we're in a situation where there are probably more possibilities than just Helvetica bold in one size that will kind of solve your problems. Um, so yeah, does that does that mean type designers or typographers are less necessary? Um, it's hard to say. You know, I had Eric Speakerman on on my podcast as well, and he. Um, does a really good job of uh, of convincing that um, that he is the guy to go to for complex, really complex typographic yeah. projects like way like wayfinding for cities, for example. Um, yeah. How would you you know you would call Eric Speakerman because that's necessary? Is every typographic project wayfinding for a city? No. Um, so mm-hmm. is, is, a, is, a, is, the, is the perfect typographer necessary? Probably not, um, unless, mm-hmm. you're, unless you're depending, of course, on the context. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that goes back to the saving lives bit where, you know, we, we have to understand the context of use. Uh, I think some of the, uh, some of the contexts are, are more critical than others. Uh, for example, you know, um, uh, my 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 friend Brian Kwok has been doing some work on on medicine labels, the typography of medicine labels, you know, uh, to prevent overdose, especially for senior citizens, right, or or taking the wrong medicine, you know, that that's a critical application. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other so- situations might not call for that kind of. Uh, uh, level of attention to the typography. It's, it's so hard to measure too, right? Because you never know where your typography is going to end up or what, how important it's going to end up being. Right. I mean, you know, um, yeah. the, the, uh, the spine of a, of a, of a book that, 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 um, everybody must read, um, you know, <laughs> is actually quite important. Right. And, um, you know, the, the designer of that may not consider that um, when they're churning out spines all day long, right? But, <laughs> but actually, they, they, were, they were incorrect. So. I, think, I think that's um, that's a good point there that we can talk more about. I think conspicuity is, is making something conspicuous or attention-grabbing uh, 
it sounds really vain or commercial, right? You want people to notice your advertising, but it's not necessarily just uh, a commercial thing or vanity thing or mm-hmm. branding thing. Mm-hmm. It could be because you need to quickly identify something from a mess in an urgent situation, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why you draw attention. That's why it needs to be conspicuous. Mm-hmm. I think in a way... So I, think, I think there are different ways to understand that, yeah. Yeah. In a way, you're right. I mean, there are some things that are going to be pretty obvious that this is going to be an important typographic project in terms of its ability to save lives, like a medicine bottle. Um, other things, maybe not as much. I mean, mm-hmm. hypothetically, this person who started um, changing the uh, emergency signage from from red to green may have had no idea how big an impact that would have, right? So, you know, it's hard to know, but I mean, that would be, again, another situation where I think it's pretty important, but then in a way, all wayfinding is and and road signage, of course, um, a lot of stuff that's dealt with by, you know, that that we often joke about as being done by engineers, you know, is uh, actually quite Mm, important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that changing convention uh, of from red to green. I I wonder what the rationale was, and I, I, it's pro- it probably depends on, you know, uh, what the rest of the color scheme looks like as well. I guess, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, having lived in Vancouver for for nine years, you know, the green would remind me of street signs, mm-hmm. you know, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, for, rather for than, a... you know, it, it's something that you see all the time instead of something that you can identify right away, right? For, for an audience that would need clarification, if, if that's the case for the listeners today, you know, um, if you're in an emergency situation, you've got uh, someone in your passenger seat who needs to get to the hospital as soon as possible, and you're driving, trying to find the emergency department, and maybe you're relying a bit on intuition of seeing that sign and just glancing and knowing that that's the right place to go, switching up that color can, can affect how that interpretation happens and Maybe you don't make it to the emergency department because you you didn't identify the signage in the way that you needed to. And so the person in your passenger seat doesn't make it, right? So like that's a I mean yeah. that's an it's so an that's extreme, that's a very it's an extreme so yeah, that's, example. That, that, but that's yeah. a likely uh that that could be a likely scenario, yeah. Yeah, as we're saying, you know, all the the street signs in Vancouver are green, right? The 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 street signs that are hung kind of across intersections are green they have been for a while so yeah yeah, so it doesn't stand out from the environment and you know if you're driving down canby it's all greenery (laughs) right Mm -hmm. trees Mm -hmm. so so the red is not just a personal preference or an aesthetic consideration Mm -hmm. it has something to do with a visual perception Mm -hmm. uh for a start you know red has kind of a different associations with danger with blood you know all these different con- uh, associations that we have on the color but also convention you know we we use red in a uh, um, in in different situations that we've we've used to we've been used to from for many years uh, and also the physical the the, the actual you know uh, contrast it provides with the surrounding colors you know, there are so many factors that influence why we use a certain color. And, you know, I think, yeah, yeah you know, um, branding, of course, pay, plays a role in this as well. You know, I had Debbie Melman on my podcast as well, and she goes into a lot of yeah. depth about how these branding elements have a huge impact on our lives as well. So that can involve typography. Yeah, yeah. for identification purposes, right? Branding, I guess, uh, it's... It's identification, but it's also differentiation from others in a different in in a in a more commercial kind of context. Uh, I mean, compared with with your hospital sign um, example, it, it's it's funny. I I was at the Chinese University the other day, and and uh, I noticed the signage uh, of the university, the system, the red. They they use red as well to point people to the administration building. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> and actually where I worked and where I studied redding, red is the corporate color and it's everywhere in the signage to mark names of buildings, right? <laughs> 
So, so maybe in that kind of environment, you need to use a different color to stand out from the red. <laughs> I also wanted to bring up the, 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 the thing you and I know about type that, that is red color and how, um, and, and the, the, the effect of, of readability and legibility on, on type when, when it's set in, in a red color and changes. Um, the, the color red, what we're talking about here is the color red specifically yeah. and its ability to draw attention and its ability to maybe be memorable, but it also its ability to um, distract in a way from, from that reading process. So. Yeah, but I think some 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 uh, of our audience might might think, hang on a minute, what are they talking about? This is color. This is visual communication. This is, has nothing to do with typography. I, I bet some people are thinking that right now. In, in the exa- <laughs> in the example I just mentioned, I'm talking about like fonts that you are normally black and you make them red, right? So that in a way, you know, we're talking about type. But yeah, absolutely, we're um, we're talking about tangential areas, and type is about that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But the, the 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 as you said, you know, it's about the application of type, right? So those are the ways we 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 um we we apply uh, type. So I guess is 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 related. Let maybe let's let's um let's uh change our. Our, our, our subject oh well not our subject but i mean uh our direction a little bit uh how did you get into typography i'm just curious how what how did you first notice there's such a thing as typefaces and typography i don't think i've asked you that before i'm just curious yeah um you know keith keith and i kind of went through these questions beforehand and this was one of them on the list and i, I have a bit of a prepared answer um mm. How how true it is or or not, I'm not sure. But um, uh, the, the the note that I wrote is that Eric Speakerman was probably in there um, with with Sapsil and ah, Sheep, okay. which was a book you know that yep. was there 20 years ago. I yep. thought it was when I first read it. I thought it was too basic and too kind of cheesy. And now I want to replicate it because of its ability to to communicate to more people and different kinds of people. I think it's really strong in that way. Um, but it's a great like, book because um, uh, it because simple is difficult, right? To explain yeah, things in a plain way and simple is difficult. But the the great the greater thing about this book is the is how he talks about context. I think that that was a revelation, I guess, in a way. Sorry, I, I interrupted um, you. It's okay. Um, I didn't want to kind of take away from from the other influence, which is uh, an instructor at Emily Carr um, named Kent Hughes. He uh, he taught me right after high school. He was teaching me about type in a non credit class, and eventually in oh, a right. credit, eventually in a credit class where I think he he terrified everybody in the class because he kind of dropped Why? he dropped everything about type in like one introductory first class, oh, and we're all like. Wow, that's a lot. But I think we were also like, oh, there's something that I can dig my teeth into. There's something that I, there's some longevity in that. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, definitely yeah. Ken Hughes was a, was really important for me. Well, Ken also taught me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, those are those are two key key ones. I mean, of course, there are so many kind of historical examples. You know, Jan Hold was I loved his 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 hard hard copy hard hardcover book that I had of his and I think I threw it out at some point. I don't think I have it anymore. Which one was it? <laughs> one of the valuable ones. Oh, the new typography. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think um, the translation I, yeah. of the English translation of that came out quite late. I think it was in the 90s when it came out. Mm-hmm. I think even late 90s if I remember correctly. Yeah, I would have I would have got it around then, so yeah. Yeah, that was um, you know I, I had weird taste then. You know I liked that for some reason. So I think that you know <laughs> the, yeah it, it didn't it didn't teach me about typography as much as kind of convinced me that I can't forget about typography now. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's a topic mm-hmm. because that, there's that <laughs> book, you know. So <laughs> it uh, it uh, it's interesting. I mean, Jan Chichold, um I, I think a lot of people might think, you know, he he was a modernist, kind of a proponent of modernism. But I see 
it a little bit differently because you know he wrote his uh, new typography uh, when he was around twenty years old, I think, was really you know quite dogmatic uh, the way he he kind of uh, expressed his views, you know, big cross, uh, you know, uh, a big red cross actually on a on a diagram, you know, for symmetrical design and then asymmetrical. I think a, I, I think it's a little bit more than, I mean, it might be very dogmatic, but I think there is some kind of, uh, there, there, there were some really important ideas in there where uh, the form should not be external to the thing that you're expressing or you're communicating. I think that, that, that book really drove home this message, I think, for me. Although it's very kind of uh, uh, form-driven. It's very form-driven. It was starting to think a little bit about the users, but not really that much. About content, yes. Expressing the content, about articulating the content, yes. But addressing the needs of the users, not not so much at that time, I guess. Yeah. And then, of you know course, that... you know, he completely changed approach uh, into another and other kind of uh, design canon, I guess, after. And, you know, that kind of old-timey typography knowledge that you and I both have some of, I have some of, you have all of. And, you know, um, (laughs) um, has has shifted for me. Now I like the Polisher illustrated type story. I like how, you know, she didn't like the press type and switched to illustrating type, like, it seems like a story that people these days, young people would, would like to know about and could relate to more. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. these, these days, I feel like that's important. Um, will that mean that um, that, that rich, um, important, um, authoritative typographic knowledge becomes less important? I, I don't know. And, and in a way, I hope not. Um, I just mm-hmm. think maybe you start with a polisher story these days instead. Yeah, right. For people to get into it, right? It's more relatable, that's <laughs> right? right? I mean, that, yeah. that's that's how that's how I got into typography as well because it was fun, really. Not because yeah. it's serious work, <laughs> you know, all the you know, uh, all all the you know, nerdy knowledge and skills. It's not really that that got me in, into it. So I understand how how people start, right? They mm-hmm. need to be enticed. They need to find it interesting and fun to do mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. which is uh which is a good way of getting into anything really isn't it and uh, you know i'll even mention david carson's typography if you can call it that mm-hmm. you know i think to to me these days that 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 whole like my non-legible type is actually legible i actually like that now when you know years ago i hated that story i thought uh, he's diminishing the history of type and now i'm like well that's pretty relatable i can see that so yeah i i love i love that when i was a student yeah yeah <laughs> i love the emigre stuff when i was a student yeah. i couldn't get enough of it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but the thing is are those approaches you know the polar opposites of what we were talking about earlier about saving lives i mean i wonder they... i mean yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, you can, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a valid question. Yeah. I mean, can, can one, can one do both? Like, uh, can they move, can they move between these approaches fluently, you think? I think that typography has really changed. It's really changed from when I was learning it 20 years ago as an art school student um, to what it is today. Um, you know, today, um, the applications, the contexts have shifted so much that the way that we use type, the way that it's applied in different scenarios is so different than anything we could have imagined. And unfortunately, a lot of the dogma or, or knowledge around typography is based on those contexts from a long time ago. And it's just been passed along yeah. and passed along and passed along. And we do need to reevaluate it. And yeah, I, I, did, I do feel there's a gap right now in, um, in ordinary people being able to, to relate to and understand that kind of typographic history. And that means that it needs to be updated. And that means there's something missing there. Um, of course, you know, I, I, I love it. You know, I, 
I have this example of a, a, a book spine um, kind of torn up in a, in a thrift shop box that mm. makes me, you know, just as feels good, you know, when you <laughs> see it. And, um, you know, the, the, the young kids these days don't feel that. And, you know, that means things yeah. are changing. Yeah, they're glued to the screens, right? Mm. Objects. I mean, I, I think we're shifting, though. We're going back to objects and making, in a mm. way, because we've mm. had too much screen. But, but yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, uh, that experiential kind of aspect of learning uh, is diminishing. It's not gone because we're still living in a tangible <laughs> kind of world. But it there's less of it. Uh, yeah compared to to you know our days as students um how we got into this because of that tactility and that process that's very you know visible and tangible you know i mean i'll do this i think i can safely diminish our value you and i about typography now because i think the the changing emergency signs from red to green has a completely different meaning now than you and I know and interpret it. I mean, mm-hmm. when I saw that change, I was like, what are they doing? But I think if mm-hmm. somebody else, if a young person these days saw that change, they would probably in some way make sense of it in a way that I can't. Okay, right. So there's a generational difference there in terms of adapting to these new conventions. But I, I actually remember uh, when the exit signs in Hong Kong in the buildings switch from red to green. I think it was like in the early nineties or something. I, I, I forgot. And I don't know why they did that. I think we need to look into that a little bit more, but that change of convention was, was major. Uh, and uh, I remember, you know, in Europe, the standard is of course green for exits. Uh, but in North America, it has always been red. I'll, I'll apologize to the audience at this point for going on about red and green and typography <laughs> for so long. <laughs> People are going to hate us now, but it's a valid, it's a valid topic. I'll just change the show title to Can Communication Design Save Lives? I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is all typography. I think what typography is, is really shifted. I think our whole definition of typography has to shift as well. Um, and it isn't until very recently that I've started to believe this. But, you know, with, you know, may, maybe at the point where we're shifting from desktop websites to mobile apps, we had to reconsider typography. And then we started shifting into connected objects and, um, and, and smart home and, 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 and we have to rethink typography there and wearables, we have to rethink typography. And then we start shifting yep. into NFTs and metaverse yep. and yep. VR, AR, and then we have to rethink typography again. And where are we now? We're in this like weird um, AI space, right? And this weird um, chat GBT space. And how yeah. do we rethink typography now, right? I mean, in, in yep. a way, we can't rely on that same old knowledge that we have, can we? Or can we? I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, the we it, the knowledge needs to expand uh, and needs to uh, we need to create new knowledge. Definitely, uh, what does AI enable typography? look like how that how does that uh affect the way we design i i I, i'm thinking automation is going to be a big thing um the way we have to structure documents these days in microsoft word is so antiquated we should not have to do that (laughs) right i think Mm. i think um html and css and 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 uh you know content management systems and and databases, you know, those really uh, turn typography upside down, I think. Uh, although uh, maybe some people are still not aware that that is typography. I think that is, uh, you know, what we what UX designers or UI designers have to deal with. Uh, I used to teach a project uh, uh, in a in a in an information architecture class for master students, yeah. and uh, they had to design a an online shopping site 
or an online music database. And we looked into databases, how to structure, uh, how to semantically segment different bits of information so people can search for it. Yeah, uh, isn't mean, that typography? That is typography in a, well, big, you're talking in a big about, way. You're talking about something so important, which is what I believe too, which is uh, typography is about hierarchy. It's about creating order. Yeah. And when it when it's about when that's what it's about, of course, it's it's entirely relevant. And there are certain deliverables that will always kind of live on and be dependent on typography in a big way, despite new things that happen. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that separation between the semantic structure of the content and the visual representation. You know, traditionally the visual representation was the thing that we did. We had we didn't have so much to do with the the behind the scenes stuff, but now we do. Now we do. Yeah. You know, um, I think Jeffrey yeah. Zeldman was one of the early pioneers around a lot of those ideas, um, you know, separating style from, from content and from structure. Um, yeah. yeah, those those things were entirely um, critical for, for the history of typography, I think. Yeah, I think we're in yeah. a slightly different space now, but I think those were yeah. um, really important. Well, I, I'm 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 starting to think, you know, that you know the the segment the the semantic segmentation. Uh, we might not have to do that manually anymore because AI mm -hmm. does that. AI mm -hmm. will will take over, mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine because mm -hmm. it can do better than us. But mm -hmm. how does that translate to the visual representations, which you know really help people use the product or the service? Yeah, uh, you know. Of course, machine learning can be used to to learn people's behaviors according to different typographic representations. You know, we can that there. There's a lot of potential there. I think, it, in a way, it comes back to the creating hierarchy, creating order. You know, if you think about typography, especially as you should, not as a decorative thing, but as an organizational thing, um, those kinds of values um, are are are. Are important regardless of what the um, the the uh, deliverable ends up being, and in that way, typography and the knowledge around it is extremely important, no matter what happens. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you know, as, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm getting away from the saving lives at this point. I think, or maybe I'm returning to it and saying, no, that, you're returning to it. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 I think. I think uh, because. You know, we're we're going full circle. We we we're 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 looking into the future, or I mean, that's not really the future. It's already here. Uh, I mean, uh, a lot of what we do in our everyday lives are going to be automated, are going to be um, uh, AI enabled, and the typographer needs to expand his or her knowledge. To kind of interject into this, to be to 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 kind of uh, reinvent themselves, yeah. to cope with these new technologies, uh, and to rethink what we we do as typographers. I think there's a lot of potential there. I mean, my friend showed me Chat GPT, GPT because I couldn't install it, and he showed me on the phone, and he he put in you know plan a three day trip to Japan, you know, and then it did it. It it is it it actually structured the whole thing day one you know bullet points you know visit this you know whatever like a the whole document was structured and it was like wow you know isn't that typography it is typography but you need to kind of program in that those parameters and maybe we can use machine learning to learn all these previous typographic conventions that can be utilized in automation after you know we need to do that right still absolutely yeah. I agree, 100%. It's, it, it, it is really exciting, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. but it's also, it's also worrying. <laughs> um, you know, I think what we're talking about here is the fact that typography will always be valid. You just have to be able to separate it from the decorative, to separate it from the structure, to separate it from the style, to break it into those pieces and take the pieces that are useful for you. I mean, even if you think about typography and typographic history metaphorically, 
as something about hierarchy and as something about creating order. It's very rich and there's so much knowledge. It there. is. Yeah. But not to discount typography as, uh, uh, uh as visuals, as emotionally enticing visuals, you know, there, there's also a lot of value in that. We're not discrediting that, right? <laughs> no. It's, uh, yeah. it's almost two different things though, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's see what else we want to kind of conclude the show with. I think it has been, it has, hasn't been an hour yet, but um, let's see. What else do you have on your list? I, you I, asked I me about, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you asked me about projects that I give um, in the yes, type classes yeah. that I teach. So one of them uh, I wanted to share was uh, typesetting Edward Tufte's CV. Um, you know, oh. Edward Tufte's a, uh, he's a, uh, <laughs> He's a statistics guy who uh, who teaches at Yale and uh, has released these kind of information design books that are quite beautiful. But um, he definitely has his personal style um, imprinted on those um, with the uh, the style of infographics and things like that. And it's quite quite austere, I think, in a way. It's very minimal. And um, and you know, so I give that as a project to to the students, and I give I like them. Well, I give them the, his real CV, which almost looks like plain text <laughs> do you know right it's, yeah. very, it's very bare and yeah. you and i can identify it and identify that style but i think to 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 the young kind of typographic student they must they must really understand why i'm giving them this plain text document to decorate now and to create visual uh, interest right. with. um so yeah. I, I give that i give that as one of my projects um, there's, another There's a project. lot embedded in that. Yeah. There's a lot embedded in that. I mean, it it sounds like oh, formatting a CV, anybody can do that. But but you know, if they have to actually read Tufty's books and principles and you know ideas and really interpret that and and uh, translate that into a typographic design, you know, that's a very complex thing, isn't it? It's not just oh. I can just do this like anybody else's CV is not right. It has to express, yeah. it has to embed his ideas into it. <laughs> well, in a way there's room for both, right? You have the student yeah. who sees that yes. as plain text and just typesets it again. And then you have the student who does more, right? So mm -hmm. that's, what's nice about it. Um, yeah. Another project I give is related to what I was saying earlier about the Helvetica film and use Helvetica bold in one size. And uh -huh. um, yeah, I call that the Helvetica project and they just take a word, a short word, um, set it in Helvetica bold, you know, linotype or whatever, um, one size and then uh, create, change it into a word mark. So make a subtle change to it. So it's slightly more memorable. Um, oh, I and, see. Okay. you know, the, um, the, the, the students who modify a counter very slightly or change it in a sender, descender, you know, are, are, are hopefully onto it in a way. And then the, the, the ones who um, start, um, you know, illustrating are, are, are in a different direction, which could be valuable as well. So, yeah, I, I think I, I, I like that it's constrained to one typeface and one size and one weight. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to give a, an exercise like that as well mm -hmm. uh, to, to really, try to get the students to understand the different resources that are available to articulate the text right mm. uh, if you give them you know all the options available they 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 cannot see you know what can space do for example mm. Mm. and just that mm. and what can size do and just that you know so uh, yeah i think that that's uh that's There's cool. one more I'll share. I, I, I didn't put yeah. it in my notes, but um, I, I do a type around the neighborhood project where we, we leave the, oh, yes. the campus and we walk around and start identifying type and how it's used and we see oh, it everywhere. Nice. It's a great one, right? Um, yeah. you know, I think it's in Bruce Mao's Lifestyles where there's a spread where it, uh, all of the type is removed from a, a, a photo uh, of, yes, a, of the strip. Right. And, yep. and it's bizarre. You're like, wow, that typography is everywhere, right? But yeah, was that's it Bruce Mao's books? I think it was in one of uh, one of the issues of Emigre as well. I think oh, there really? was an artist who did that. I wouldn't have seen that That was very memorable. And sometimes, yeah. you know, when I see billboards like in Mong Kok in Hong Kong that 
are white, right? Yeah. Because because no ads have been placed, which is quite rare in Hong Kong. I mean, it, it's more, more common now during COVID, but uh, but you know, it's quite striking when you have a really dense cityscape, you know, with all sorts of signage and advertising, and you have a blank, you know, billboard. <laughs> it's quite I, uh, stunning. But I think, yeah, is I, I, yeah, um, can you can we imagine a life without typography? And the the quick answer is no, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely, it's impossible because with I mean, without typography, we it, it means that we have no written language. It goes back to prehistory. You know, what, I I I put in a bullet point, right, Thomas? Was there yeah. life before typography? What do you think? <laughs> and you know, there's a great kind of historical example. I'm not sure how accurate this is, but. Um, you know, historically, supposedly, if my memory serves, um, the 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 stone in, inscriptions on on tablets were first used for mm-hmm. for financial um, re- for for, mm-hmm. for for saying w- who owned what. So you know, capitalism yeah. kind of you know in a way, right? So yeah, yes. Can we live without it? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I got this new book. I, I actually is in my office. Uh, it's called Caps Lock. I need to find. Uh, it's about graphic design and capitalism. Um, mm. Let me search for it now. Great. It. I came across it uh, when I was at uh, when I was in Amsterdam uh, at the. Uh, the best Dutch book design exhibition. It 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 won an award, but uh, the content is extremely interesting. Caps Lock: How Capitalism Took Hold of Graphic Design and How to Escape from It. I've read wow. yeah, the first the first um the 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 first chapter was graphic designer scribe, and it it was about it it is about the accounting stuff that you you're mentioning. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I don't have the book right here, but let me see if I can find a table of contents. It's, it's very interesting. I only have a partial one. Uh, yeah, the part about uh, graphic designers hacker, graphic designers amateur, graphic de- uh, the designer as a futurist, the designer as hacker, the designer as futurist, the designer as philanthropist, the designer as activist. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating read. Um, the I would have got designer, that. Uh, the designer is a brand brander. Uh, yeah, I would have got that from Meg's from History of Graphic Design. There would have been something about it in there. That, that that's oh, right. from, from my memory. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah, the early days of writing and recording ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's for um it's for numbers really at first. Yeah. Who owned what? You know. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I recommend this book. I, I'll put I'll put it in the show notes um, for our audience. Uh, I recommend this book. I haven't read it all yet, but it, it's fascinating. Yeah. So I want to ask you one more question about uh, teaching. Great. Uh, are there any underlying messages that you evangelize? I use that word because I I, I just heard a podcast. Uh, uh, Debbie Millman's. Um, 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 interview with uh, Guy Kawasaki. Uh, he was the chief evangelist for uh, Apple. Yeah. Are there any underlying messages that you evangelize about when teaching typography? Yes. And I don't know if it's right to do it or not, but I, I've written out what I, what I wanted to say for this. And it's that you don't just decorate with type. Um, Paula Scherer is a fun example of someone who illustrates with type, but I tend to organize and build order. And that's what I evangelize is creating order with type. Mm, yeah, that's very similar to 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 my my approach as well. Although nice. I don't do much evangelization, <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> I just do it. But yeah, it's embedded in what we do, really. I mean, the, the briefs that we set and the mm. the way that we teach and the uh, mm. the way we coach students. So I guess it's built in. Yeah, nice. That's, uh, that's very similar to what what I what what I I how I approach it as well. Yeah. Anything else? And no, maybe great. I'll, yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, there's a delay. 
I'm, I'm very happy with that. I think that's a pretty rich conversation for, for the audience. Um, hopefully they get something out of it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, I hope uh, we're not, we haven't been rambling on too much. And uh, I hope <laughs> it hasn't been frustrating to talk about color, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think there's more, uh, there, there's, there's certainly more to talk about uh, around this topic. But, uh, but I'll definitely invite you uh, on this show again for the 20 questions that you asked me. I'm going to ask the same qu 20 questions to you. Is that okay? Absolutely. Look forward to it. Yeah. 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 And maybe I'll end with uh, uh, the question, how do we keep tabs on you? How do we find you? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, look out for my talk at the Sarbonne in June. Um, I'll be talking about this exact topic. Um, it's actually a literary journal called Advanced Typography Workshops in Quarantine, which is about saving lives with typography. Um, look out for that talk. You know, grab the Oxford book if you can find it. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll invite you back again. So, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. So we'll see you next time. Great, thanks. listening to Visible Signs, Invisible Designs. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please subscribe. You can find this show on anchor.fm, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Until next time.